Welcome everyone to Asian Pacific Voices Radio, where you'll find stimulating conversations that explore diverse topics and stories impacting our communities. I'm your host, Sheena Yap Chan. Joining me today is our special guest, Trisha Lee. Trisha Lee is an award-winning filmmaker known for her unique storytelling style and ability to create impactful, thought-provoking films. With over a decade of experience in the film industry, Trisha has directed and produced several critically acclaimed movies, tackling topics ranging from mental illness and addiction to female empowerment and gender equality. Her work has been recognized with numerous accolades, including several festival awards and nominations, and she is widely regarded as one of the most promising and innovative voices in Canadian cinema today. Thanks so much for having me on your show. Yeah, it's such an honor to have you here. First off, you know, I'd love to know what or who inspired you to be a filmmaker? You know, it's actually, I remember when I was a kid, my parents uh, wanted me to be a doctor and I I told them, you know, I want to be a psychiatrist. And so they're like, fantastic, you know, we're going to get you into med school. Um, But then they took me on vacation to Universal Studios in Florida and I saw behind the scenes how movies were made. And I came back from that trip and I was like, I want a career in media. And they were like, oh, oh goodness, what have we done? Um, so it was kind of, that was the start of it. I mean, like I just really liked, um, storytelling and, you know, the whole psychiatrist part of it is, is like, I just like to talk about, you know, feelings and the things that people are going through. And, uh, I like to do that through film. I love that. I know it's not always, you know, our parents' dreams when we say we want to do something that's not a lawyer or a doctor, right? When you say media, it's like, how are you going to pay the bills? Um, And being a creative, you know, especially in Asian culture is not something that's typical. So I'm glad, you know, you went ahead and did something that you loved. So I hear that your latest project involves the William Hung American Idol biopic that you had written. How did you approach capturing his unique story and personality? So I met William um, in person just, you know, at an event. And, um, you know, it kind of just occurred to me that I kind of have always been fascinated by his story. So I approached him and I said, you know, I'd really like to tell your story uh, if, you know, if you'll give me permission. And so I spent months um, interviewing him um, and I basically, I wanted to know every detail of everything since he was born. Um, So like we probably spoke for like a good five days before we even got to him going to American Idol. Um, And, you know, just... I love being able to get to know somebody that thoroughly. Um, and, you know, a lot of it was just processing the story through my, you know, my brain, my body, uh, my creativity to parse out what what I think the nugget is of the story that I wanted to tell about him. And I think the biggest thing that I learned from him and that I think is the nugget of the movie that I want, uh, that I wrote is... Um, that no matter how you see me, I have value. Um, because if we all remember, you know, people were laughing at him and, you know, it, it, no matter how the world saw him, he still stood up and was like, you know, like I do have value and I want to sing and I want to, I want to entertain and I want to make people happy. And that really came from a, a real place. I love that. And I mean, you know, I follow him on Instagram and he's done so well, you know, he's, you know, speaking all across the world. 
Um, and it's great to see that, you know, sometimes, you know, we're defined by that one thing, right? Like for him, American Idol. I mean, he could have just said, everyone sees me as a joke. Instead, he took himself seriously and started a career and utilized that to build a speaking career, right? Being able to um, speak words into speak words into people's lives and make a be- uh, better difference, right? A positive impact. And uh, turning a failure into something that using his platform to be able to talk to people about following their dreams and, uh, you know, making the best out of something that, frankly, if that was me, I would have been crushed on national television. Like, you know, but I think there's something to learn from that. Yeah. And everything happens for a reason for sure. Right. So I'm glad that, you know, he's able to do something different where he can impact people for the better. So Trisha, you know, as an AAPI female filmmaker, how have you found your perspective and cultural background has influenced your storytelling? You know, I, I realized that when I was a kid, I actually tried to um, move away from my culture. Uh, I grew up in Canada and I grew up in a pretty white neighborhood, one of two, only two Asian kids. And, you know, and actually, instead of feeling like an outsider, I did my best to belong. Um, so I erased my culture from myself. Like I was like, I'm not going to speak Cantonese ever again. Um, you know, I'm going to speak English without an accent. And I just tried to assimilate if I'm going to be honest. Um, and so I think that, you know, in 2020 or in recent years when Asian, um, and, and I think, you know, people of all colors, um, are, their stories are being told more, um, I sort of re, um, looked at (laughs) myself and, um, and my culture that I, that I really hadn't been a part of. Um, and I think, so a lot of my stories are about that exploration of what I erased and, and why I erased it. Um, and, you know, I'm trying to, trying to be as honest as I can and find my culture through my writing now at this, you know many, many years later. I love that. And I also am from Canada. I currently live in Toronto. I've been here since I was seven. And so I totally understand what you mean by trying to assimilate to Western culture. You know, I never saw anybody in the media that looked like me. Um, and it was really hard to embrace being Asian at the time, right? I I wanted to have blonde hair, blue eyes. I wanted to change my name because I just, you know, wanted to denounce being Asian because I just didn't feel beautiful. And this is why, you know, representation is so important, having, you know, specific stories that's told by our culture, because for so long, we've been so invisible, right? So I love that you're able to do that, um, be able to tell the stories that we were too embarrassed to when we were growing up, right? And I mean, Toronto is one of the most multicultural cities in the world, but uh, it's unfortunate that we still don't have that representation that we deserve. So I'm glad that you are doing something that's totally different, that's impacting our community. And So I'm just curious, you know, what was your experience like when you were directing top talent such as Eva Longoria and Simu Liu in your past projects? Um, I mean, it was it was great to work with. Um, I met Simu uh, when he was on Kim's Convenience. This was before he moved to the States. Um, And we shot Meeting Mommy together. And, you know, he had written co-written that script. Um, And, you know, we just... I just loved being able to work with him 
so I don't know if you've seen the short Meeting Mommy, but it's about um, the death of a parent. And I had recently experienced that. So like as a director, I like to approach things from a really personal place. Um, and having recently lost my mother, like I shared that story with him, um, you know, just to like uh, to get him to that place for like a certain scene. And um, I just love being able to be that open with my my actors. So that was fantastic. Um, and Eva was great. It was a, a commercial that we shot. Um, and she's, she's, you know, a one take wonder. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks for sharing that. And sorry to hear about your mom. Um, you know, it's not always easy to lose, lose a parent, right? Um, so yeah, so, so you've directed three award-winning features, including Blood Hunters and Silent Retreat. What do you believe sets these films apart from others in their respective genres? Um, is I Yes, they are horror films. Um, I like to say that they're elevated genre or dramatic horror, if you will. Um, there's definitely blood, guts, and monsters, but... Um, I am actually really a dramatic director, um, and the stories that I like to tell are really philosophical and thematic. And so Silent Retreat, for instance, yes, it's a creature feature, but it's also about women standing up and using their voices. And so what I love about genre is that we get to use it as a metaphor for humanity or social issues, and um, and so that's that's the type of genre film that I like to make. I like, I like that, um, perspective that you have. Cause as women, you know, we have to like lift our voices up. We have to like face all our monsters. Right. Um, and just being able to showcase that through a movie to show them that we have that power, whatever that genre is, even in horror, you know, it, it, it teaches us that, Hey, you know, we can do it. We can speak up, we can stand up and we can make a difference. So I really love that you're able to utilize that for something good to, um, you know, have a positive message and to show others what's possible. Um, so I, good chance your feature script being produced by Janet Yang, who's phenomenal. I've actually interviewed Janet Yang a few years back yeah, on my own podcast, has been recognized on the Blacklist, the Cape List, and other high-profile competitions. What was your inspirations behind creating this particular story? So uh, I'll tell you what the story is about. Um, it's about a transgender teen who helps an undocumented Asian woman escape deportation, and they form this unlikely friendship that helps them heal the rifts in their own mother-daughter relationships. Um, and so the inspiration was a phone call that I received. It was a, a wrong number phone call um, from a teenage boy, and I was like, sorry, wrong number, and then I hung up. And then about two minutes later, the same person called me back and I was like, oh, sorry, it's still me. Um, but we ended up talking for a while. And, um, you know, at the end of the conversation, I said, uh, what, what's your name? And he said, I'd like to be referred to as Rachel. And I just got the sense that she wanted to talk to a stranger about things that she wasn't able to tell her own family. So... Um, that's sort of like the, uh, the inspiration for the inciting incident of the script. Um, and, uh, and then it's also very much me exploring my relationship with my mother, um, and, uh, working through all of that through my writing. I love that. I mean, of course, you know, when we have Asian parents, there's always a complicated relationship, right? Um, a lot of baggage, a lot of trauma, even intergenerational trauma and, 
you know, being able to showcase that through a film or through media, you know, it just helps other people realize we're not the only ones dealing with that. Um, and you, when you look at films like the Joy Luck Club or Turning Red, you know, it's the same thing. It talks about those complicated relationships between mother and daughter. And most of the time it's because we just don't want to communicate with each other how we're feeling because that's how we were raised. <laughs> it's, 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 it's a whole thing. It gets crazy, right? And, you know, if we just basically opened up to each other, things would have been a lot easier. So um, I think that's great that you've been able to, you know, have your film in so many different high profile lists and then having it produced by Janet Yang, who's literally like the godmother for um, Asian Americans in Hollywood, you know, Um, she's out there paving the way. So I mean, congrats to that. Um, And as an Asian American, how has your journey influenced the way you approach storytelling and pursuing creative opportunities? I honestly, I don't look at it that way. Um, I, I'm just me and I, I work as hard as I would regardless. I, you know, contact the people who I would regardless. So, um, I just think that filmmaking is, it's a really hard, uh, hill to climb, uh, for anybody. And the, I don't know any other experience, right? Like I don't know that my experience would have been any different if I was a different race or a different gender. So um, honestly, I just try and do the best that I can and make the films that that matter to me. Yeah, I love that. And yeah, sometimes, you know, we just want to show up as ourselves, right? Regardless of gender, regardless of race, you know, we just have the stories that we want to tell. And each person has a specific story that, you want to tell. And, you know, I always say our specific stories matter because it's our specific stories that creates solutions and different perspective on life, right? If we have the same storyline over and over again, nothing gets changed. So I think, yeah. So thanks for sharing that. So you are, or will be the showrunner and sole writer on eight episodes of the animated anthology, A Banquet for Hungry Ghosts. What drew you to this project and what can audiences expect from it? Um, so this is a, a lovely story. Well, it's an, an animated anthology, so it's actually eight stories um, uh, that's based on the book, A Banquet for Hungry Ghosts, um, and uh, it's being produced by 108 Media, who hired me to um, create the Bible and the pilot for for the series. Um, and basically, it's ghost stories, um, Chinese ghost stories that are Um, sort of encapsulated around a Chinese dish. So each story has a a recipe and a ghost story uh, that has to do with uh, some sort of uh, dish or or food. So um, yeah, it's, I think it's going to be delicious. I think it's going to be, you know, scary and, and all of that mixed together. So I hope you look forward to it. Awesome. That sounds interesting. And of course, as Asians, we love food, right? Any kind of storytelling with food is always a winner. Like I remember watching this Taiwanese show on Netflix and it's all about, you know, cooking, uh, a mother cooking meals for her kids, right? Um, But it's more complicated than that, of course, right? But food was the center around it. And then every, at the end of the show, uh, they would have a recipe for the the food they cooked in that show. So if it was a stew, if it was a soup, if it was like a fried dish, they would have a tutorial at the end to show you how they cooked it, which is really fun. 
Ying. And I do want to say that uh, I'm a uh, shout out to the author Ying Chan Chang Compestine, who wrote it. Uh, she's uh, from China. I think she moved to San Francisco. Um, and so she has like the perspective of living in both worlds. And she brings that to to this ghost stories. Awesome. Well, I can't wait to see that and see what dishes are you going to come up with for each episode. And now as a, you know, a female, female filmmaker, you know, has there been any challenges you faced? And if so, how were you able to overcome them? Look, I've, I feel like I've actually been very uh, fortunate that I um, have produced my own films. So I've had the luxury of choosing the people that I work with. Um, And so I've, I've really, generally worked with really great people. Um, so, you know, as a, again, the question of like, as a female filmmaker, um, I don't know, I don't know any other experience. I just know that I have had a good experience and, you know, like I've raised the money myself. I have produced it. I have hired the people. So I think that that might be a different experience than, than many other people in the industry who've been hired into jobs that, you know, maybe they don't have a choice of who they work with um, or how HR may or may not deal with any situations. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm trying to get my next feature off the ground. Um, I directed Blood Hunters, my third feature in, we were on set 2015. Um, so it's been a while. It came out in 2017 and I... I'm really, you know, working to get that next feature off the ground. Um, you know, people say that this is a great time for female filmmakers. You know, everybody's open to it, and that's fantastic and great. And I would like to make my next feature. So, <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks for sharing. Then I love that you mentioned that you know you you're out there fundraising for your films, right? And I think that's what most people don't understand. Like, you got to go out there and create the opportunities that you want. If you want to create something and you don't have the funds, you're going to find a way to make the money or fundraise that money. Um, And that's not always easy, of course, right? Asking people for money to fund your movie or fund your film. Um, It takes a lot of confidence and courage. And then it's culturally, it's considered a handout or a weakness. Um, When in reality, it's not. I mean, you're here trying to tell stories, specific stories, empowering our community. So it's all going for the greater good. And, you know, you are very passionate about your work. So you know that it's going to go somewhere. Um, so like when you mentioned, you know, like you have to fundraise, I just thought, you know, that, wow, that's, that takes a lot of work. That takes a lot of confidence, um, day in and day out. Um, yeah. So, so I just wanted to commend you on that. (laughs) No worries. Um, so what advice would you give to aspiring filmmakers looking to break into the industry? Well, you know, if you're a director, direct. If you're a writer, write. And uh, I know it's easier said than done for directing because uh, writing, you only need a laptop and, you know, an internet maybe. Um, so so definitely work on your craft. Um, but if you're a director, go out with your iPhone and some friends on the weekend and shoot something. Um, so much of what I learned is in the doing. Like, yes, I went to film school, but where I really learned is on set, um, even just, you know, student films and, uh, getting to know people relationships is so important. And especially working relationships where, you know, you, 
on a short film, you can see how you can collaborate and, um, you know, find your style as well. And I think that's so important to, to just do it, <laughs> even if it's not going to be a big festival film or if it's not, you know, like big budget with all the, you know, bells and whistles, do the craft. Um, and, uh, and then I guess the other piece of advice is express yourself. Um, don't try and make something that you're trying to fit the zeitgeist or fit what people are looking for, because that's going to change. And depending on who you're speaking to, that's always different. Um, but I think what will shine through is when you are, are speaking from your heart and, uh, talking about um, what's important to you. I think that uh, your authenticity will shine through when you're doing that. I love that advice that you mentioned. You just basically start with what you have, right? Because a lot of people feel like if they want to be a filmmaker, they need to have the best camera. If they want to be a photographer, they need to have the most expensive camera. Um, I'm not saying the iPhone isn't cheap, but you know, you could start with your phone, right? Like I remember talking to a photographer and she said the same thing. Like before she had a fancy camera, she started with her iPhone. Um, I also interviewed a, a music artist from the Philippines who shot her whole music video on an iPhone and it still racked up millions of views, right? And so when she told me that she she did everything through her iPhone, I was like, seriously, like that's amazing, right? So it's just proof that you don't always have to have the most expensive items. You know, you just start with what you have, you be resourceful and you figure things out along the way. And as you get better, you start leveling up, right? You invest in better equipment, you, um, you know, you, you take classes, you do whatever, right? Um, so, so I love that you mentioned that. And I think, you know, sometimes people kind of overthink that they always have to have the best thing when in reality, they just got to start and just start imperfect and you'll figure things out. <laughs> you know, a piece of advice that I had heard once is that it doesn't matter if you have $5 or $5 million, you can always choose where you put the lens and how you frame the shot. And yes, you know, you can have different like lenses that does cost money. I get it. But like, you get the idea, you know, like it's about um, creating a frame that tells the story that you want to tell. Yeah, I love that. So thanks for that great advice. Now, I know we've been talking about you filmmaking and making movies and writing scripts, but I mean, what do you do when you're not making films? <laughs> Which is so rarely that I'm not writing. Um, I, I love to travel. Um, so I, um, I, I've taken on like being a digital nomad and uh, sometimes I will travel and, and, you know, I can write from anywhere as long as I bring my, my laptop. So um, yeah, travel and see the world while I can. I love that. And of course, you know, because you're in filmmaking, it also allows you to travel to these amazing places that you've been to. I mean, what was the one place that you, what was one of your favorite places that you were able to travel to? So my bucket list place that I just went to is Iceland. Um, it, it was just beyond beautiful. I mean, of course I went to go and see the Northern Lights, which I was very fortunate and I was able to see it, um, on our first time out. Um, but like the ice caves and the waterfalls and, um, I just, they're indescribable. Um, everybody, you need to go to Iceland. It's, it's just so beautiful. Um, I want to go back. 
Awesome. I'm glad you're able to check that off your bucket list. And Trisha, you know, looking ahead, what can we what can we expect from you in terms of upcoming projects and collaborations? Uh, well, the projects that we were talking about are, you know, very much on the the front burner to try and get them made. Um, I also co-wrote a script called American Dreams, uh, which is a grounded sci-fi thriller. Um, during the pandemic. Uh, it was basically me processing my feelings of everything that was happening. Um, and uh, I am starting to write a brand new pilot script. I'm also, um, so I'm t- starting my foray into TV. And so I'm in the Sony TV Writers Fellowship currently. Um, and so I'm going to be starting to write a new pilot uh, that's also in the grounded sci-fi arena. So I'm going to put that out there so that I have to finish it. (laughs) I love it. Can't wait to see those upcoming projects that you have. And of course, uh, you know, if our listeners wanted to know a little bit more about you, wanted to connect with you, is there any social media links or any websites we can connect with? Yeah. uh, My website is trishaleedirector.com. And basically all my socials are trishaleedirector. I want to thank our guest, Trisha Lee, for joining me on today's show. To learn more about Trisha Lee, please visit trishaleedirector.com. We would love to also hear from you, our valued listeners, about any suggestions for future guests or topics. Also, be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform, as well as follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube channel. Asian Pacific Voices Radio is produced by Asian Culture and Media Alliance, a nonprofit that empowers our Asian and Pacific Islander communities with a voice through media arts. If you would like to support our program, please visit AsianPacificVoicesRadio.com. I'm Sheena Yap Chan, and thank you for listening. Please join us next week for another exciting and thought-provoking Asian Pacific Voices Radio show. Until then, take care, everyone.